Raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear and I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. You are listening to the Parenting for Liberation podcast. I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each episode, I'm joined by other Black parents, and we discuss our journeys to push past our fears to raise our beautiful Black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Wake up, everybody, no more sleeping in bed. Hi, this is Trina with Parenting for Liberation, and today we are joined by Melissa Franklin and Brandy Sims, and we're going to talk about Black maternal and infant mortality and what we can do to activate around it. And this is an important topic and is related as a follow-up to our conversation that we had with Adrian Marie Brown and Danny McLean when we had our Parenting and Pleasure conversation. We learned about doulas, and we learned about some of the statistics and data around the impact of birthing on Black moms. From the recent celebrity incidences with black maternal health, such as Beyonce and Serena Williams, who experience pulmonary embolisms and nearly dying after childbirth, black mamas, according to the CDC, are three times to four times more likely than white moms to die from complications during pregnancy and childbirth. In 2011, the CDC reported that black women comprised 42 percent of deaths resulting from pregnancy or childbirth, whereas white women only And white women only counted 12% of this population. So today we're joined by experts and also folks who've had personal experiences and stories around black maternal health and infant mortality challenges. And they're here to join us to talk more about that. So welcome to the podcast, Melissa and Brandy. Thank you. Thank you. So this topic hits close to home for me. Um, I, at the age of 23, I received an abnormal pap smear which led to a series of biopsies and the doctor telling me that the side effects of these procedures would be a decrease in my chances of being able to carry a child full term. Fast forward to a year later and I was pregnant. And although I was told that my likelihood of being able to carry a child to term was information that I received, I didn't hold on to it as I was pregnant. I was excited about having a baby and I had all the emotions and all of the other things that I was thinking about. So I was just ready to have this baby. And so I, a year later, when I'm in my third trimester, I was diagnosed with placenta previa and I was told that I was going to have to have a C-section. And I was really worried about that. I knew that the statistics were really high in the United States. We are one of the highest folks who give C-sections. And I was worried about the, just the going under to have a baby. Um, However, later that night, after my diagnosis that I would have to get a C-section, I began spotting and I went into preterm labor and I gave birth to my son over a month early. And so this issue around preterm births or early deliveries or miscarriages and black maternal health hits close to home for me and many of our listeners. And so here at Parenting for Liberation, we believe that the personal is the political And we're doing this work because we are the work. And so with that, I'd love for both of you to share what brings you to this work. And I'll start with you, Melissa. Well, first of all, Trina, thank you for just having us here and for uh, sharing your story. Um, As someone who's had a personal connection to that, I know how um, hard that can be, but it's what I feel are just the seeds of change in this work for more and more of our stories to come out and be made known so that uh, black women cannot feel under the burden of any guilt related to that. Um, I'm a, a Pritzker fellow with First Five LA. Uh, Pritzker uh, is a national family foundation who's funding work across the United States, um, focusing on uh, prenatal to three. So systems change and policy and programs related to this arena, and my particular focus with First Five LA, uh, which is a child advocacy organization funded by tobacco tax dollars is the reduction of the disparate, egregious, and unjustly high rates of African-American infant and maternal mortality in L.A. County. Um, and what brings me to this work uh, in general is the fact that, you know, when I, came, when I came into this world, my dad was fresh off of uh, Vietnam and talking about the revolution and wanting to see change in less than a decade after uh, uh, desegregation. And really that his input and uh, 
mentorship in my life just framed my sense of uh, social justice, and it really has been a part of me since then. Um, I grew up in L.A. proper and then moved out to the suburbs when I was 12 years old, and we were, well, it felt like we were the only Black family in the entire city, Um, definitely the only Black family in my school, at our church, and that really also informed my, my sense of social justice. We weren't necessarily welcomed at first, um, just so many challenges and not being accepted and just hearing uh, myself be referred to as the N-word for the first time. I mean, all that really uh, framed my early uh, childhood um, existence and, you know, thoughts about the world and really seeing early on that there are these two different uh, lives and treatment of individuals. Um, fast forward to the present, what brings me directly to this work is I'm a I'm my uh, black mom who happens to be a communications uh, professional. I have two girls, ages nine and twelve. Um, both my daughters were born at twenty-seven weeks, five days to the day. I never made it to my third uh, trimester. My oldest daughter, Hannah, who's now twelve, um, came spontaneously. My water broke. I went to the hospital um, after a day in the hospital. They couldn't find her heart rate, and um, I had to deliver by emergency C-section. Um, my daughter, Heaven, who's now nine years old, um, I delivered uh, VBAC. Uh, so I delivered naturally after going into labor early. And with her, it really was a traumatic birth as well. I almost died in the process. Um, she almost died twice in the NICU, and I have to tell you, there is nothing like the feeling of not being able to hold your baby uh, immediately after she's born. And actually, I didn't hold either of my children until um, about eight weeks after they were born. And so I have a really personal connection to this work. Um, coincidentally, I had uh, begun working at First 5 LA, and I was sitting in a presentation about the Black Infant Health Program uh, here in Los Angeles. And that's the first time that I heard that this was a thing, that Black women were losing their babies at a much higher rate than any other race. And it was then that the guilt that I had carried around for, oh, at that point, um, over three years, just, you know, melted off my shoulders and, you know, was replaced by a resolve to make change in our, um, in our world and our society and as it relates to issues of uh, equity. Um, this project in particular uh, was brought onto it to facilitate focus groups for Black women and that's when I really found out how universal our experiences are with the healthcare system. And so I'm just determined more than ever to see this change through. It's unjust. It's not just us. And, um, you know, I'm grateful that Versailles LA and the LA County Department of Public Health, who partnered on this, are taking a stand. The director of public health here said the root cause of this is uh, racism. And so we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. But that's really what brings me into this world work, a determination to see this change through um, and to see more Black babies uh, thrive and survive after they're born and their moms, too. Mm, Thank you so much, Melissa, for sharing your story and letting us know about your beautiful Black girls that you're raising. Um, It's just it's an honor to hear your story and also to hear how you're in this work so deeply Brandy? Thank you. Those are my change makers. Yeah, yes. <laughs> they will teach us the pathway to liberation is what I've learned from this work. That's right. Brandy, welcome. You want to tell us a little about you and how you are connected to this work as well? Yeah, thank you, Trina. So I was actually at that event with Danny and Adrian. Um, And it was really just an amazing experience, yes, where we were able to kind of like talk about this work in a really meaningful way, but also in a healing way. Like it was a whole entire vibe. And oftentimes when I'm in this work, I leave a little depressed, but I left that that conversation feeling really uplifted. So thank you so much for facilitating that conversation and these like ongoing conversations around this work. Um, So my name is Brandi Sims. I'm a program officer at First 5 LA. And basically I work to build the capacity of communities to engage in policy and systems change um, and also work collaboratively to address disparities in black infant and maternal mortality. Um, And I also serve as a postpartum doula and a lactation consultant. Um, 
I have a narrative that's kind of similar to Melissa as far as being an LA native, um, having not great experiences um, throughout education. And so kind of growing up really wanting to focus on social justice and education reform. Um, so before joining the work in Black Mental and Child Health, my focus was education and eliminating opportunity gaps for Black children in particular. And I came to First by the Lay because I knew that 90% of a child's brain is developed by age five. And this critical period really sets the foundation for lifetime learning. And so here at First Five, I learned about the disparities in birth outcomes for Black families and how, you know, preterm birth can lead to developmental delays for Black children. And I also made the connection to my own family's experience. Um, my mom suffered from preeclampsia through all of her pregnancies. Both of my siblings were born preterm. My own pregnancy ended in miscarriage. Mm. Um, and so I really just wanted to contribute to creating safe birth for myself, for all Black women. And that's also why I became a doula and a lactation educator in addition to my birth disparities work here at First by the Way. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Like you said, this work is not only about the data and about the numbers. It's also about the people. It's about us. It's about seeing the people, hearing the stories of the folks who are impacted because we're not just numbers and statistics. We are real. And so I want to thank you both for showing up whole and sharing your truths. Um, And I just want to first take this moment to just pause and to breathe because this is also about healing together. Just the three of us on this call, and I know that many folks who are listening could connect. Oftentimes you hear about this data and you think, well, it's because these that black moms aren't doing the right things. You know, it's because they don't have education or they don't have resources or they don't have, you know, the best health care. And so when you hear the statistics, there's a there's an immediate inkling for folks to begin to blame. Blame black mothers, blame black families for the statistics. And as you referenced earlier, Melissa, it's not. It's not any of those things. The real root cause of the inequity and the disparity is racism. And so when I think about us on this call, right, like I was I had a master's degree. I was working. I was I had prenatal care early on. Um, I found out I was pregnant early on in my pregnancy. Right. And I think, Melissa, similarly, you had similar experiences in Brandy as well. That it's not about how much income we have. It's not about how educated we are. It's not about if we have prenatal care, like we referenced already Beyonce and Serena, that none of those things actually are the 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 indicator that we would have right. these experiences. So, Melissa, I would love to hear from you. Like, help us understand why focusing on age, income, education is a lie. It's fake news. And that the real truth about the root causes of this epidemic is racism. That's right. Thank you, Trina. And thank you for um, and just engaging us and taking that moment. Um, this is a really painful, horrible problem that we have in our community. And so often I come across women that are just blaming uh, themselves because the, the world is blaming them. And that's how uh, the healthcare system talks to us. And it's very challenging. And so I just appreciate you like, acknowledging um, the pain in this work. And even for women who haven't necessarily experienced a, a challenging uh, birth experience, us as a people, a Black community, it's harmful to hear that our moms and our babies that are dying at much higher rates than any other race. And that is the fact in LA County, uh, black babies die at three times the rate of any other race uh, before their first birthday. Uh, Mm. Black moms die at four times the rate of any other race uh, as a result of uh, childbirth complications or complications related to pregnancy. And immediately folks jump to some of the usual things that we've heard our entire lives in terms of what could be the issue. And even now in the work, I come across plenty of folks that say, oh, you know what, they just need to get uh, prenatal care. Uh, you guys just need to eat more healthy. Black people are always struggling with uh, uh, obesity, or if we need to deal with the uh, homelessness crisis or deal with poverty or deal with jobs. And yes, these things can present, excuse me, present more problems uh, in terms of having a positive birth outcomes, having a healthy baby and surviving that childbirth, but it's not the reason for the disparity. You know, the key is to look at the difference between all other races and Black folks. 
Um, and even when we dig deeper to look at the, the, the data as it relates to just some of what you would attribute the common causes, um, we see that, that that case is not there. So looking at um, black professional women, so we use education as a type of proxy for income, right? So um, in 2016, in terms of low birth weight birth by mother's race and education, so Again, the precursor most often to infant death is low birth weight or premature birth. Of women, black women who had a master's, doctorate, or professional degree, 8% of low birth weight births by women who are black who have more than a college education. And then when we look at white women in 2016 um, who had low birth weight births, 6.6% 6 .6 of women with le white women with less than a high school education had low birth weight birth. So when you compare black women with beyond a, a, a college degree to white women who had less than high school education, black women still exceed them in terms of low birth weight birth. Mm -hmm. And we see that in prematurity and in deaths as well. So when we look at smoking, so in 2016, um, of the low birth weight babies that were born that year, 9.6% mm -hmm. of those born to um, black women who did not smoke and had never been exposed to smoking uh, were low birth weight. White women who uh, smoked, that number was 9%. Wow. So black women who have never smoked, never been exposed to smoking versus white women who do smoke are still seeing more challenging, less favorable, awful uh, birth outcomes versus white women. So that tells us that the problem is not necessarily our behavior. It's not us. And that's the one thing that I hope that I pray when I walk away with having a conversation or when we walk away with having conversations with other folks, even in the black community, that that is the reframe that uh, we approach this problem from not the individual level or that person's behavior, but from the system's behavior. Um, there's been a research that has emerged over the past decade that focuses on the toxic stress of exposure of Black folks to racism, multi-generationally and interpersonally in society. And it demonstrates that the stress of that exposure to racism is harmful to us. It causes our body to remain and constant fight or flight mode. And I'm sure many folks who are black can agree. I know I deal with this on a daily basis. Oftentimes the moment you get up in the morning, you feel you're under attack. I send my children to school knowing that uh, black children are suspended at higher rates, that they are fa failed at higher rates, that they were referred to special education at higher rates, that they were referred to gate and special gifted programs at lower rates simply because they are black. Mm -hmm. that our promotion practices in society, our hiring practices in society, sending uh, my husband out into the world wondering if he, the son of a retired police officer, will be pulled over by the police and not survive that stop. Mm -hmm. And so that is the stress cumulatively that we live in. We as a people, we feel the events that happen in our world, in our society, that are harmful to black people, and that creates a constant stress response. And that allostatic load is too much for our bodies, anybody to bear. So we say stress kills in terms of heart attacks and strokes in general. That's something that's generally accepted. It's the same when it comes to exposure uh, uh, to stress and the stress of racism on our bodies. And when you combine that with the prevalence of implicit bias and overt bias in our systems, which we have heard over and over with stories of Serena Williams and Beyonce Knowles and Kira Johnson and their birth outcomes. Um, it's absolutely amazing and remarkable that we continue to thrive as a group of people. Yeah. Thank you so much about sharing so much of that data and that the stress levels, the cortisol levels are all in our bodies and it's killing us literally it's aging us literally yeah. um isn't there data that says that we age 10 per at a 10 years we age 10 years older because of all of the stress that we carry that a, a black woman 
at the age 30 has the same stress levels or like the same rate of health as a, a white woman at the age 40 because of all of the stress and the accumulated stress that we're carrying around um, and dealing with racism and biases and not only the stress that we're experiencing personally, but historical trauma, intergenerational trauma that's passed on from generation to generation in our cellular DNA that we are experiencing this trauma on, on a heightened level. So thank you for to yeah. raising that awareness. Uh, Go ahead. Thank you. No, I, I, you, you hit the nail on the head and for anyone who wants to um, research it, you know, there's a researcher named uh, Geronimus who has done a lot of work around this concept of weathering. So that's the, the aging of our body systems, which is uh, magnified during uh, pregnancy um, and, you know, is what is pointing to as the um, outcome of this constant uh, exposure to uh, stress in our society and um, multi-generationally. And when, which, what is also interesting is when you look at um, preterm birth rates, uh, maternal death rates, um, infant death rates uh, among black people that are relatively new to the United States, you don't see the same disparity. And the reasoning is that potentially what we're looking at is, um, you know, those individuals haven't been exposed to the stress of racism in the United States uh, against black people long enough to experience uh, this allostatic load. Wow. So just by surely being in the United States and in this very oppressive, repressive environment for since birth, right, or being raised here, you have different stress levels than folks who still identify as being of the African diaspora and coming here, but they don't have that, the years and years of that trauma and, and oppressive um, energy. That is, so yeah. the data is telling us what it is, right? Um, folks yeah. don't, don't want to say the elephant in the room, like it's racism, it's systemic racism, institutional racism, um, that's happening. And so I know that you all are both doing work um, through First Five and also through some local initiatives here to help uproot the root cause of racism. Tell us more about the Los Angeles County African-American Infant and Maternal Mortality Initiative that's happening here. Well, the um, initiative itself, and I, I have to um, I have to give it to Dr. Barbara Ferrer, who's the director of the L.A. County Department of Public Health who, along with um, Dr. Debbie Allen, who is the Bureau Chief for um, Health Promotion and the Department of Public Health, and for the, uh, who's the lead point on the initiative in L.A. County, they really put two feet firmly in the direction of um, embracing the fact that racism is at the root cause and addressing the problem uh, based on that understanding. And so that was a really important step in this work. This work has been address for several decades. You know, it, it's been a problem that community-based organizations in LA County have been grappling with for uh, many years and that uh, Black women have been exposed to and aware of for many years. Um, so I, yeah, I really have to give it to DPH for taking that stand. Um, they recently released a, uh, that was last year, a Center for Health Equity uh, five-year action plan that really focuses on strategies to address African-American infant and now maternal uh, mortality through um, programs and initiatives that, you know, try, attempt to stop the racism within the system, uh, support black women in um, preventing their bodies being impacted by um, uh, uh, racism and the stress of racism and by chronic stress, and also help them deal with those impacts or help us deal with these impacts on our bodies. And so this is being done in partnership First Five LA and the heart and soul of this initiative, in addition to that plan, and um, Brandy will go into some of the elements that First Five LA is specifically uh, working with, is community engagement and acknowledging the importance of, you know, addressing issues uh, about us by us. And so we have convened the, this LA County countywide uh, African American Infant and Maternal Mortality Steering Committee, and this is a group of. Uh, fearless leaders of community-based organizations uh, in Los Angeles, uh, primarily Black women-led, uh, alongside uh, County Department of Public Health, uh, Mental Health, and Health Services leaders, uh, First Five LA, as well as the March of Dimes and uh, other funders who are really just coming together 
uh, number one, to build um, collective action to address systemically this issue. Number two, develop innovative ways for uh, addressing African-American infant maternal mortality. And number three, to guide the implementation of the L.A. County Department of Public Health's uh, five-year action plan. And this really has been just a remarkable process to, first of all, just be in the context with my fellow sisters in the work and um, be in a, 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 a space of fellowship and of edification and us wrestling with this uh, together. Uh, Brandy is on uh, the steering committee. Um, in addition to that, on the local community level, there are the creation of community action teams. So there's an Antelope Valley community action team that is led in partnership with the Department of Public Health, Mental Health and Health Services, and with uh, community organizations. And there is a South LA, South Bay community action team uh, led in similar fashion. Those are the two areas where the disparity is um, markedly great in LA County and where you have the most concentration of uh, Black people. Uh, There are also community action teams forming in um, the San Fernando and Santa Clarita Valley. And for those who don't know where that is, those are kind of the suburbs uh, in uh, Los Angeles County where there aren't uh, a lot of Black folks. It's actually where I I grew up. And then in the San Gabriel Valley, Pasadena region, again, not a large uh, group of Black folks, but the disparity is is markedly high in those areas. And so that's been really tremendous. We've had a, a number of great advances in the work. And I know we'll talk about uh, Holly Mitchell's uh, Senate bill, uh, so that I'll save that for later. But it really just coming together as um, a group of stakeholders, one, but a family in this work uh, to see true and lasting change and think innovatively about how to um, approach and finally stop this as an issue in our communities. Mm, thanks for sharing. I'm it's really exciting to hear that one, this is a uh, black mother led or centered work so that the sisters are at the table to help shift the structures and institutions and to help make the decisions. Like that's really important. Um, it's also really great to hear that you're approaching this at multi-levels, right? So looking at systems change, but also community action and really resourcing the community to to discover and decide what the actions are for their community and that you're not trying to do this like universal approach where L.A. County is massive and so diverse, but each region has its own action teams to really think about what is needed in their local area. Um, so that feels really important. I really appreciate the work that y'all are doing and bringing mothers to the center of the work and not having work be done on our behalf, but actually having us being at the table. So there's some incredible work happening um, at multiple levels that you're doing with this initiative that seemed really important. And I would love for you to share a little bit more about what are you advocating for as a steering committee and what are some of the actions and initiatives that you're supporting uh, through these local action teams? Yes, and thank you. One thing to note is that this problem is not without hope or without an answer. We have so many black women who've uh, approached us in the work and said, I'm absolutely afraid to have a baby or to get pregnant because I'm afraid I will die or that my baby will die. And the fact of the matter is that there are certain interventions that we are advocating for that have shown to be supportive. You know, one is quality health care delivered with respect and with dignity, you know, sister circles and prenatal groups that provide encouragement and support, uh, mommy visits at home or home visitation, uh, connecting moms to resources and programs, uh, birthing coaches and advocates like doulas, and then laws that place power in the hands of families that address unfair treatment, you know, what to do when you're not being uh, treated right or listened to uh, by a provider, and then birth plans with the mom's wishes at the center. So if we don't want to have a C-section or if we want to have a natural birth, that that is honored that we're treated as partners in our birth experience. And I really would love for uh, Brandy to share specifically, you know, what is being done on the ground in some of these areas. Sure. So, um, one of the things that First Level LA is playing a big role is in really elevating parent voice and increasing public awareness around all of the different interventions that are being created, expanded, improved um, to really 
benefit like black families and improve the experience and the outcomes around birth. Um, and so one of the solutions that we're really hoping that um, everybody is aware of and able to access is doula support. Um, so doulas are trained professionals who provide continuous physical, emotional, and informational support to a laboring person and their family. And that can be before, during, or shortly after childbirth. And the goal is really to help them to achieve the healthiest, um, really most satisfying experience possible. And this education, support, and advocacy can happen in the home, in birthing centers, or hospital settings, wherever it is that parents are planning to give birth. Um, and doulas can also provide support around miscarriage, abortion, and infant death. Um, it's really important to know that doulas aren't medical providers, so we don't provide medical advice or diagnoses or care. We're not providing like medical exams or doing heart monitoring or delivering babies. Um, and we're also not making decisions for the person giving birth, and we're not kind of taking over the role of partners or family members. Um, really one of the most impactful roles that a doula can play is that of an advocate, particularly in hospital settings where intervention protocols and implicit bias can really negatively impact the birthing experience and outcomes. And so doulas can really help to improve communication between the pregnant person and their medical provider um, and also help make sure that they're informed and that their choices are respected and their needs are being met. Um, the research shows that women that have the support of a doula are more likely to have a shorter labor. They're less likely to have a preterm birth, C-section, or interventions such as epidurals or a vacuum or forceps assisted birth. Um, and they're also more likely to have positive feelings about the birth and lower rates of postpartum depression. And so we're really working in Los Angeles to ensure that all black women in particular have affordable access to this type of support. Um, and we're really excited about an investment from the department of Human Services Whole Person Care Initiative, where they've invested $1.1 million over two years to ensure that Black women have access to doula support. Um, so that means training new doulas. Um, the doulas that are already uh, certified are going to get expanded training around lactation support and trauma-informed care. Um, and we're also paying for direct service for Black families to be able to get doulas. Thank you, Brandy, because I know you're a doula and I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I wish I had a doula when I was going through and being told that I was going to have to have a C-section and epidural and I had to induce my labor. You know, all of those like in the moment choices that you have to make that there's a lot of pressure that you have to do it now. You know, your baby's life is at stake and you don't have someone there to advocate for you. Um, you don't have someone there to help even explain what those choices are and that they actually are options and they're not requirements and that you do still have choice. Um, so I think it's an important, important element. And I know that having black doulas and, and even having midwives has been something that we've been doing historically as a, as a community. Um, and I'm really glad that the that the department is really invested in this. Um, in addition to doula support, um, are there other programs? I know we've talked a little bit about home visitation. Um, can you tell us more about how that supports families? Um, who are having new children. Sure. So voluntary home visiting programs really match expecting and new parents with trained professionals who are providing family-centered coaching as well as like mentoring, education, and support. And so a home visitor will meet families where they are, which could be inside your home or another location that you're comfortable with. Um, and they really help to foster bonding between parent and child and support child development. Um, so they're not coming to your home to assess you and make sure that your house is spotless and your baby isn't crying, which families are sometimes worried about. It's like, what is this person actually coming into my home to do? Um, but they're really help there to just provide information and support um, based on what the family's needs are. And so you know, high-quality home visiting programs are proven to increase families' economic self-sufficiency, uh, foster healthy child development, and promote school readiness. Um, at First 5 LA here in Los Angeles, we have a home visitation program that's called Welcome Baby, which is available to all families delivering at 14 participating hospitals at no cost. Um, and the benefits for the families really depend on their specific needs. Um, but regardless of household income, if you plan to deliver your baby Baby at one of the 14 welcome baby hospitals, you can receive 
an in-hospital visit where you get assistance with breastfeeding and information about bonding and attachment, taking care of your baby um, and resources your family might need as you transition into motherhood. You get a personal parent coach who, again, meets you and your family in the comfort of your home or another place. Um, You get information on breastfeeding, home safety, other topics. You get in-home appointments with a nurse within the first few days after delivering at the hospital. Um, And then you also get baby and mom-friendly items such as like thermometers, nursing pillows, toys, um, and supplies to baby-proof your home. And so I think we all can kind of understand the benefits of a life coach or an executive coach. Um, And I think that all families can really benefit from a parent coach through home visiting programs. Um, And so home visitation is really a a nationwide effort. Um, So I think it's really important to kind of see what's available for you locally. Wow, that's really incredible. Go ahead. That's just I just wanted to say that it's really incredible that we have that those those resources are available. And I also just want to appreciate you, Brandy, for naming that the role of the home visitation is not for surveillance or not to check up on you or to make sure that your kids are a certain way and that your house is a certain way. I think, you know, just as a community, like having folks come into our home to check on us has been a thing that has happened that it becomes surveillance and we get criminalized. So it's really great to hear and for you to share with folks the the intentionality of the home visitation and also what the benefits are to the family. So I just really wanted to to appreciate and show gratitude to that. Melissa? I was just saying that's lit because <laughs> we need our village back. We need to have our village back and we shouldn't have to struggle. Parenthood is tough. And then doing it as a uh, black mom you know, feeling like you're just against the entire world some days and constantly beating yourself up. And often, you know, depending on where you live, if you're in a a community that's dealing with gentrification, you're spread out from your family and it could just feel really alone and that you're having to kind of power through and be the strong black woman. And strong black women doesn't mean not getting help. And Brandy, these programs aren't just for Women on, um, you know, in- income assistance programs. It's for uh, any woman across any social mm-hmm. economic strata. Hmm. That's good. Absolutely, and that's because we know that the birth disparity impacts women across economic, educational strata. It's like everybody is is dealing with racism. Everybody is having this challenge, and everybody should be able to benefit from the different supports that are available within the community. And so I think that means, you know, as a mom, like making sure that you let go of the guilt and worry around asking for help. And I think that for the community, that means that you should really be actively kind of like going above and beyond to support the the mothers and families in your community. And, you know, Trina, you mentioned earlier kind of this idea of, you know, supporting each other in birth as something that is traditional for us. And that, and that is, I think that, you know, as you have had the rise of physicians that kind of supplanted the granny midwives that we had that were like in the community, um, you also had just like a general knowledge around how to support each other around birth and parenthood um, that we've kind of been removed from. And so it's really important to kind of um, bring that tradition back and understand each of our roles in supporting our our moms, fathers, babies, and, and families in general. Yeah, just it's time like, to activate the village. Yes, just like we said, you know, trauma is passed down generation to generation. It's in our cellular memory, but also that ancestral wisdom is there. We have cultural ways mm-hmm. of being that we can return to and tap into. And that we say that language, like it takes a village to raise a child, but it also takes a village to support the person who's caring for the child. And so it takes all of us mm-hmm. and we have to return to that. Right. And I know it's really hard when we're spread out, like we're talking about L.A. County, which is massive um, and we're isolated and removed. And gentrification means that like you might be in a place where it's only six percent black people. Right. So how do we continue to seek the support and that there's resources available? So thanks for sharing that these resources are available for us here. Um, but, you know, these resources don't just come right. Like there had to be some advocacy um, on multiple levels. And so I know that. 
there's been some new legislation that was passed here locally um, by Senator Holly Mitchell. And I wanted to learn more about that and how she's supporting this work around black maternal health. Yes, uh, thanks to Senator Holly Mitchell, really, you know, a, a fearless advocate on our behalf and on behalf of this specific uh, work. Uh, that, thanks to her efforts, the California Department of Public Health is um, funding to the tune of $8 million a year counties, county department helps uh, to address African-American infant maternal mortality. And so first, excuse me, I'll stop there. Los Angeles, um, as the county with the largest number of uh, black baby births and with a uh, great amount of disparity in uh, African-American infant maternal mortality, will be um, receiving an investment of just a little over $1 million a year uh, to uh, address uh, African-American infant maternal mortality. And so we had to submit a proposal to the state for them to uh, be able to re release the dollars to be funded through the uh, LA County Department of Public Health. And so we convened the steering committee and the community action teams and stakeholders and community members to work with us to identify just and prioritize what are the interventions that we should propose to the state for this funding. And the state gave us about five intervention areas. And so through a community engagement process, uh, the areas that were selected were um, fatherhood programs, providing fatherhood programs, uh, group prenatal programs, and then um, pregnancy intentionality, um, which is basically about uh, being able to ask the question of uh, women what their pregnancy intent is and that being a lever to, first of all, their birth wishes, wishes being respected, um, but also ensuring that they have the supports they need to have a healthy birth should they choose to. And so that is in process. We submitted the proposal. We're uh, awaiting word back from uh, the state on specifically what implementation looks like, but it's really exciting work. It's work that um, really I'm grateful to the senator for, for ensuring that it's funded and it takes place. And the, currently there is no end point determined for the funding. So that's uh, encouraging as well. And this uh, funding is uh, intended to work in concert with the uh, Black Infant Health Program, um, which uh, Brandy helps oversee at First Live LA as well. Brandy, it would be great if you could share what the Black Infant Health Program is um, in LA County and the state. Sure. So the Black Infant Health Program is a program created to really support black mothers um, as they prepare to give birth and give birth. So um, we have a couple of sites throughout Los Angeles County, and it's really a space where folks can come together. They can learn about how to prepare for birth. They learn about child development, but they also learn about the unique experience of being a black person in the United States and kind of like the things that really make you feel good and positive about your culture. So you also have information to pass down to your children. Um, and they also provide access to information and resources to help you as you uh, prepare for your family. And so I've had the benefit of really being able to like go and observe the program and talk to people that have participated. Um, and it's just really helpful to have a place where you're able to come together, meet people that are in a similar situation and have access to that type of social connection and support. Um, and so it's really a unique program in that it was created by and for Black mothers in particular. Um, and so for all of the folks that are in California, because it's a statewide program, um, if you are preparing to give birth, I really encourage you to uh, look, take a look at it and research and see where it's available in your particular community. Awesome. So that's the Black Infant Health Program, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Are there other resources that we want to share with folks um, before we wrap up um, websites or other programs that folks can follow up on after this listening to this podcast? Yes, there is a great um, starting place would be um, our initiatives website, which is blackinfantsandfamilies.org. And the and is spelled out A-N-D. So blackinfantsandfamilies.org. And there uh, they can find out about upcoming community action team meetings um, under resources tab. They have links to home visitation programs 
as well as a platform called uh, One Degree, which is really you just plug in what you're looking for and where you live, and a host of resources pop up. You can even search by um, birthing resources or maternal resources. Um, and then there's a list of our steering committee organizations that are community-based organizations that support Black women, such as Black Women for Wellness, Healthy African-American Families, I Dream for Racial Health Equity, the March of Dimes, uh, the California Black Women's Health Project. So really this village of support that's um, come together around uh, the issue, as well as the Department of Health Services, their Mama's Neighborhood Program. So there are tons of uh, resources for Black women. It's just knowing where to go and where to go that's culturally relevant and respectful for us. So I would start there, and then we have an Instagram, uh, Black Infants and Families LA, and we're on Facebook as well. Awesome. And then you have an upcoming event that folks can go to um, to learn more and to, to be in deeper conversations and learn from the different partners. Do you want to share more about that mm-hmm. upcoming event? Yes. Actually, if you're in the LA area, we'll be at the Taste of Soul tomorrow. Um Come check us out. We have two tables, one uh, in partnership with the L.A. Urban League, and the other uh, is the first by the L.A. booth. So just uh, look for us. We're near the, we'll be near the Starbucks generally, for those who know, who, who know um, the area and Crenshaw Boulevard is where it takes place. It's a huge street uh, festival. Over 300,000 folks come together, mostly black, and it's just a wonderful um, experience. Uh, there's also a community action team meeting for South LA, South Bay area that will take place on October 24th. That's this coming uh, Thursday at Glory Christian Fellowship International Church, 225 West Torrance Boulevard in the city of Carson. Uh, But you can, if you follow us on Instagram and Facebook, you'll get all that information. And then on our uh, website, you can just uh, sign up and we'll be happy to uh, shoot you an email and any flyers of upcoming uh, events. Our next event in the Antelope Valley is um, November 14th. So lots happening, which is great. So uh, I also just want to flag that we are having a birth equity summit in partnership with the March of Dimes that's going to be on November 18th. And this is going to be a really important event where we're pulling together community advocates, uh, medical providers, clinicians, health agency workers to really come together and get grounded in the birth disparity, the data, the different interventions um, that are being created and expanded to address it, and also elevating parent voice, so the actual voices of Black women that are experiencing this issue. Um, And so I really want to encourage everybody to come. Awesome. We will put a flyer on our website. Um, I just really want to, before we close, just say thank you to both of you, Brandy and Melissa. You are leading the work. You are the work. You're leading the way with other black women, black mothers and sisters in this work. Um, Really appreciate you both coming on. Um, And before we leave, I know that we started off with a breath to honor the personal connection to this work. Um, And I think throughout our conversation, Melissa, you reminded us that this work is not without hope. And so I want to close inviting each of you to share you know, what's one thing that you're hopeful for in doing this incredible work? I'll start. Um, You know, one thing that I'm hopeful for is change at last. Um, and that in the change process that um, all involved will um, experience healing. This is such a hurtful issue in our community. And, you know, being in the work of the work, the work is about us and we are, we are about the work. Is this can be so overwhelming and discouraging. And I just invite us to find healing in every space um, and to just relish being Uh, with each other in the ways that we are uh, embrace our allies and embrace each other to be a village for our our fellow sisters and brothers and to activate uh, the village. Um, That's 
that's my hope is that healing happens and that my babies will have babies without even worrying about this mm. as an issue. Mm. Yes. Thank you. Brandy. Yeah. My hope is, is very similar to that. Um, but I think I really just want black women and black families to be able to let go of the guilt that comes with having to deal with the situations that we're kind of forced into by living in a racist society um, and really just like let go of that guilt and let go of the stress that accompanies it, which really kind of feeds into that, that cycle. And I definitely think that the way to get there um, is like Melissa said, really just being the, the village for each other um, and not being afraid to really access the, the supports um, and the relationships that we need in order to really kind of push through and, and thrive. Mm. Mm. And my hope for our people is that we will see the data and realize that it's nothing about us, that it's the system, that it's institutional mm. racism, and that we will see that, know that, release the guilt, the shame, and the self-blame and then be activated and become angry as hell about that data and then want to do something to mm -hmm. change it. I want us to be yeah. so activated yeah. by that, that we join these committees, yeah. we join the action teams, that folks sign up to shift these, this data so that we are activated about it. So I want us to get mad as hell and then do something about it. That's my hope. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you both for joining I really appreciated this conversation. Thank you, Trina. Uh, these are wonderful seeds that you're sowing. Keep doing what you're doing and, and encouraging and strengthening us and telling the story. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope that something shared on this episode helps you on your journey to liberated parenting. To learn more about our other episodes, check out our website at www.parentingforliberation.org backslash podcast. Please like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you give us a good review.